We're back with another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. Welcome back. I'm Bo. We've got an exciting one uh, today, talking about a couple of different things. Uh, is there anything in the in the recent happenings of the sports world you want to talk about first, Bo? Yeah, definitely. We've got some good stuff for you today. Quality stuff. Uh, some happenings, as always, this past week in the sports universe. Some surprises, some, some drama, some fun. So uh, we'll dive right in. Let's uh, let's start off with some Major League Soccer news. The great Wayne Rooney is returning to the MLS, folks. That's right. He's also returning to the D.C. United, but this time as their head coach. The former Manchester United and Everton striker just left Derby County last month and had told most everybody around him he was planning on taking a break, but that wasn't the case. Uh, Rooney cited his connection with the club and what he feels to be an exciting opportunity back in the MLS as his main reasons for returning to the States, even after multiple clubs in both England and Europe had reached out to him. But uh, not everyone's happy about the hiring of this uh, 36-year-old icon lefty. A lot of his English critics have called this a blatant step backwards in his managerial career. To which Rooney responded that he found the reaction to be, quote, a bit disrespectful to this league. So, you know, we've touched on this exact topic in other conversations. How important is this as a, as a soccer fan? What does it say about the MLS, Lefty? Well, you know, it seems like a lot of English players are, you know, uh, setting down roots here and coming back. I mean, you know, David Beckham has continued to invest in MLS. It looks like, you know, Rooney is back, who, uh, you know, has always been a fan favorite. Um, but, you know, in other news from the UK, Welsh star Gareth Bale also just transferred uh, over to the MLS and just made his debut. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice. He's 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 taking that uh, he's taking the scenic route. He's 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 going to L.A. and uh, you know enjoying it just as uh, like you said, David Beckham had done. Um, good to see. Uh, yeah, I, uh, you know I love it. Yeah, and I'm not certain if uh, you know this trend will continue. Um, obviously, I'm sure that the MLS and you know myself as well would hope that the league continues to you know, increase in terms of world rankings. But at the moment, it seems like a pretty good destination for players who are maybe a little bit past their peak, uh, maybe not able to uh, compete in the big five leagues, but uh, are still wanting to play and still have things to contribute to teams. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, for those of you who don't know, the Tour de France is well underway. But on Tuesday, stage 10 of the race was halted for several minutes after protesters parked themselves in the middle of the course and lit flares to block riders. Uh, you know, the protesters were there to raise awareness on climate change. They, uh, they had chains around their necks. Others had shirts on that red. We have 989 days left. They were physically removed by local authorities at some point. Now, Lefty, I know this is a topic, a conversation that hits home for you. And uh, if you'll remember, this just happened last month at the French Open as well. Um, do you believe this is helping raise awareness at all? Or do you believe there's a better way to use stages like the French Open and the Tour de France, you know, differently to get a message across? Uh, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I think that's a difficult question. I don't know what methodology is the best to raise awareness for these things. Uh, sure. You know, at the present, there's a there's a clear problem and there's not uh, any true uh, solutions being offered, nothing being implemented. So at, at worst, it's just a, you know, a, a cry out to the, to the empty abyss, you know, people right. don't, don't exactly know what to do about these pressing problems. Um, and at least they're trying to do something, even if it is disruptive to, to the tour de France. For sure. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a lot of, you know, gray area, uh, in, 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 in many different topics. So, uh, you know, especially with organizations, everyone is sort of tiptoeing around, you know, certain topics. They don't know where to go. They don't feel comfortable. And, you know, um, there should be confidence there. There should be confidence to be able to speak and work and I, I think work together. And I think, you know, if we could find a way to uh, further communication, then, you know, we'll be able to move forward in different ways and, you know, you'd see less of this. But, um, you know, 
just in the last week, we've had some pretty crazy quotes from current and former NBA players about, well, current and former NBA players. The great debate, right, amongst all sports is the the how good would they be if they played today question, man. You now, know. now, I don't want to cut you off here, but are you going to fall down the same rabbit hole that, uh, that tricked ESPN? Yes. Well, that's what <laughs> we're going to talk about, right? So there are a couple statements here. So Scottie Pippen, you know, former Bulls great, during a courtside interview during Summer League play, stated he thought current players in today's game are better than the players of his era. Well, that's a huge statement. You know, I, I haven't watched any. Obviously, it's not NBA regular season, but I'm sure Charles Barkley would have went off. Um, Golden State Warriors forward Andre Iguodala appeared on the Dan LeBetard show and said he believes Rasheed Wallace would be a top five NBA player in, in today's game, stating if Rasheed played in modern day basketball, he'd be better than Giannis. And I love Giannis. Uh, but, you know, the quote getting the most attention wasn't even a real one. So, you know, as you just touched on, Lefty, ESPN is getting destroyed right now. Had to issue a public apology for airing a fake John Morant quote. One that came from Twitter account at Ballsack Sports. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, uh, they claim Morant said Jordan would be just another superstar in the league today. You know, it also went on a fake quote. John Morant is saying, you got me, Steph, Luca, Dame, Trey, and then guys like Braun. KD, Giannis, Kawhi. It's not just one superstar and a bunch of, you know, average dudes. Now, Morant did say in an interview with Taylor Rooks that he would have cooked Jordan, but this comes after he stated he would thank MJ for what he did for the game. Uh, You know, he's willing to say he'd cook anyone at any level in any sport. That's just the confidence coming out of, you know, Ja. So, Lefty, do you like these types of conversations? Or, or do you shut it down when it comes up? Are you one of those people who entertains it, or do you just say, nope, no comparison, different time, no, no thanks, not doing this? Yeah, not not conversations that I actively participate in. I think that, uh, you know, different eras play different styles of basketball, and they trained in different ways to, you know, hone different skills that were of different importance. That being said, uh, I don't think you can be mad at uh, – jaw for uh you know saying what he said i think i'd be more disappointed if he didn't have that confidence it didn't go out there <laughs> sure you know wanting to be the best yeah i mean he also stated that uh you know who's the best soccer player in the world uh messi i'll take on messi let's go one-on-one you know um i i think i'm a little just more surprised at e- even now uh, with espn not verifying sources or just even looking at it a little bit deeper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I know Ballsack Sports sounds like, uh, you know, a legitimate, you know, serious uh, sports, you know, Twitter account. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that is that, super surprising. But at the same time, um, you know, it's not uh, they might have news in their name, but at the same same time, you know, it's an entertainment network and uh they're there to generate conversation in the same way that uh that that twitter account balls exports is trying to do <laughs> yeah agreed you know there's a i mean what there's a billion different accounts out there you know um it's uh espn has uh, a lot of people working for them though uh, do better guys i don't know <laughs> so uh you know, I wanted to jump into our first player of the day, um, if we could. You know, Yeah, absolutely. Over the past few weeks, you've inspired me personally to, to really get into some soccer. Oh, wow. And yeah, my, my history with soccer has been watching, you know, limited MLS play um, over the past decade, watching Premier League games off and on throughout that time, you know, accidentally turning on USA on Saturday morning. But uh you know, as I've started researching here recently, uh, I start to fall down this rabbit hole, as I do with all sports. You know, I, I get into statistics that drive the sport, just like I do with American football, NBA, MLB, boxing, etc. And I came across a player whose name you may recognize, but perhaps hasn't been recognized approximate or appropriately for what he did during his La Liga tenure. 
his name has consistently showed up alongside other greats in the game, but he has never been recognized as a, a star. So today we're going to talk about retired Spanish footballer Roberto Trasoras. Let's like get that? into it. Let's get into it. You know, I think that La Liga is something that's, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, it's definitely not a league that's uh, followed too much in the U.S. Uh, so I'm excited for this one. Absolutely. So uh, Trasoras finished his youth career with FC Barcelona. You know, he made a singular appearance for them in 2001 when he came on as a second half substitute. You know, by 03, he moved over to Real Madrid, but again, only managed to appear for their reserves. In 2005, he joined Segunda División side CD Numancia. Again, featured very little during this time. Not even a third of the games if you look at his stats. But he switched over to UD Las Palmas the following season. And it was there he was able to finally establish himself in professional football. You know, so obviously a bit of a chaotic start to his young career. But we see this often, right, Lefty? Absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to break through those uh, youth ranks. Yeah, in you know, in two thousand and eight, he signed a five year contract with RC Celta de Vigo of Division Two. You know, from the get go, he's a starter. He's established. He's found his groove. And as a central midfielder, he had his best season for them in 09. But that was only nine goals in thirty eight matches. So by twenty eleven he was looking for a new opportunity. And after reaching an agreement to terminate his contract with Celta, Josoros moved to Rayo Vallecano, where he would spend the next seven years and final years of his career as their captain until 2018. Finally, at age 37, he announced his retirement, right? So you're probably out there saying, where are you going with this, Bo? What, what are we talking <laughs> about here? This, this guy had mediocre stats his entire career. But did he? Okay, so I want to focus in on his years with Ryo. Well, you know, well into his 30s at this point. But what you could consider his most prime years of his career based on our conversation here. So let me throw some Liga Primera Division names at you, Lefty. Javi, Busquets, Iniesta, Gabi, Sergio Ramos, Tony Cruz, Lionel Messi. Some big names, right? Absolutely. Stars in Huge last, names. Uh, of recent history. Right. I mean, these are, you know, legendary star names. These players in the t- were in the top 10, finished in the top 10 from 2013 to 2016 in total passes. Want to know who was number one every single season through that time period? Our friend Roberto. Our friend Roberto. Absolutely. How about another stat? Passes per 90 minutes. Now, fair weather soccer fan like myself, anybody else out there, you know, until I started digging deep into these metrics here, you know, passing just as it does in the NBA allows a team to procrastinate, to build up a play. It tires the other team. It's all about maintaining possession. Trasoros finished second, fifth, and third, respectively, over that same time period. Again, only getting beat by names like Javi, Iniesta, Tony Cruz and Juan Carlos Valeron. All right. Nine. Accurate long balls. Now, this is a stat that that throws me, okay? Because if I'm looking at this type of list, I should only see goalkeepers. I mean, there's not there, 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 there's not a lot of position players out there that are attempting an absurd amount of long balls in the game, honestly. But it's not the fact that he attempted so many a season. It's his accuracy. Again, during that time period, he finished first overall. First overall again, and ninth. Over that time span, and think about this, he had more accurate long ball completion percentage and a better percentage than every goalkeeper in the entire league. Oh, wow. Okay, so moving on. Free kicks. If you know anything about Ryo, you'd probably say, well, this is going to suck. 
Ryo players are fouled <laughs> notoriously more based on their style of play. Uh, you know, okay, all right. He finished first, second, and first in that same time period with his accurate free kick percentage. So, listen, I challenge you to find some film on this guy. Amazing. Short game was outstanding. Making constant quick transition. He he was a genius out there. He was like a wizard. Um, so ask yourself, soccer fans, who has created more goal scoring chances per game from a deep lying position than Javi? Roberto Tresoros. Who has averaged more passes per game than Sergio Busquets? Roberto Tresoros. Who has averaged more than 10 long passes per game in La Liga history? Roberto Tresoros. So even though his passes per 90 minutes decreased over his later years, his short passes per 90 minutes increased every year. Now, these are some deep stats we've covered. These are sort of obscure metrics, right? But anyone who understands the core of soccer knows that the numbers are, are they're beyond impressive. In fact, he was a mastermind in regards to this part of the game. And as your children are taught at an early age, you're taught when you, you're, you're playing at a competitive level, it's not just about goals. It's not just about offensive stats. But on the back end, it didn't lead to any other accolades for Roberto. There were no championships. There were no personal accomplishments, right? But what we can say is that he was a hell of a soccer player, a great captain. But as we know, and we've discussed this in the past with other awesome players on this show, greatness isn't a skills competition. So with all that said, I have to ask you, Lefty, is Roberto Trasoras underrated you know that's an interesting question and he's an interesting you know example of of a player you know playing that he played central midfield but largely focused on you know he was a defensive midfielder in that defensive midfield positioning you don't get any uh any love from the fans that's it's an understated position um that uh is largely silent even with the, the, you know, impressive deep passing that you touched upon, when you play that, that deep in the field, when you're not an active part of the attack much of the time, when you, you aren't there on, you know, transition play, um, counterattacks, you don't get the glory. Um, and that's compounded when you play for a team that uh, isn't among the best in the league. You know, um, so that, that definitely you know, contributed to his status as someone that is uh, under the radar. Um, I think that also when you play for a team that's not great, you miss a lot of the competitions across Europe that uh, that build lifelong fans. You know, when you're not playing in the Champions League, when you're not playing in any other, you know, large European competitions, you fans just don't see you. And as we touched upon to begin with, La Liga just isn't, um, you know, the most popular league uh, abroad. Right, uh, it, is, it is one of the big five, but, uh, you know, unless you're you're watching, you know, Real Madrid when Messi was there, um, right. not a lot of folks are tuning in. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think he's a bit underrated, and I think, uh, you know, the importance of that central midfield position often goes underappreciated um especially when they're more defensive um and i know that he he was not the most uh he's not the best defensive player in the world um, right not at all d- despite playing that defensive position and i think that hurt him a bit um but yeah he, he definitely had the ability to uh to affect games uh with that passing and i think in a different world in a different scheme uh that could have been highlighted much better when you think about players currently playing you see uh christian erickson who you know should be announced with with man U any day now um playing higher up the field in that distributor role in a role that sure. you know creates goals um you know he, he gets a lot of attention because of that that poise and passing ability um but he's also more actively involved in the attack 
he dictates uh, how that attack looks. Sure. And I think in a different scheme, in a different system, uh, you know, Roberto really, really could have flourished and shined in a different way. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I mean, he was a fun player to do some research on. Uh, I wanted to take a, kind of a a different path. Obviously, when we when we when we think football, we think you know um, you know Premier League. We think you know big names. We look at this, but as I was looking into uh, La Liga statistics, I kept coming across his name over and over in different weird you know metrics and they his name was alongside these awesome names and you know it, digging into it a little bit more just to kind of see where his you know how his career had had played out over the years i mean very interesting i was able to you know watch some videos uh of him playing out there and uh, a very skilled human being so you know this was a super fun one definitely to to look into yeah for sure and you know he's the type of player that you know, doesn't get the headlines, but, you know, great teams are built around solid Absolutely. players like him. Um, it's unfortunate that he never really got too much exposure uh, in international play. He never featured for the senior team uh, sure. in Spain and, you know, didn't get a lot of exposure in Champions League play. But at the same time, uh, he did have a great career. Um, and, you know, it looks like he's coaching now. He's yeah, absolutely he, is. He is coaching, so maybe this isn't the last we'll uh, we'll see of him. But uh, right. I do agree, he is he is a bit underrated. Awesome, awesome. Yes, uh, again, uh, Roberto Tresoras. You know, if you're out there, I know we have some international fans. Somebody let this man know we're talking about him. All right. Um, yeah, we uh, when we we're gonna take a quick break. We get back. We're gonna jump into uh, somebody lefty wants to touch on. We'll be right back. And we are back. Thanks for sticking with us here. We heard that interesting, uh, you know, dive into uh, Roberto Treores. Um, and uh, I want to go in a different direction here. All right. Really switch things up today, Bo. Uh-oh. I want to talk about not an athlete that I think is underrated, but rather okay. an event. We're going to do a deep dive into the, the world of track and field. This is an underrated first. It is. It is. Now, you, you might know it. Um, our listeners don't. But I'm, I'm not a traditional fan of track and field. Uh, <laughs> yep. I can but, confirm. But uh, July 15th does mark the beginning of the World Athletic Championships. And uh, this iteration is being hosted in my neck of the woods. Right up here in the Pacific Northwest, Track Town, USA, better known as Eugene, Oregon. So, yes. obviously, with this massive world event happening in my backyard, I'm going to attend a few of these sessions, uh, and that's what that's what spurred my uh, segment on this episode. Are all you right. fam- Are you familiar with the World Athletic Championships? I'm not at all. I I mean, I was wondering why there was a reason you grew out your hair and only have a mustache like the great <laughs> Steve uh, Prefontaine, but uh, now I know. Now you know uh, to, to honor the legacy here of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of Track Town USA. <laughs> Beautiful. Hoping to uh, hoping to uh, attract Phil Knight. Get oh, some, yeah. Get I some mean, of that cash. <laughs> definitely. I'm sure I'll have a shoe made for you in no time. No time flat. So anyway, the, the World Athletic Championships are a biennial competition that represents the highest level of a competitive track and field, arguably on par with the Olympics. So really right there, massive competition. Um, Obviously, an Olympic gold might be a little higher, but, uh, you know, in terms of the level of competition and the the notoriety of the the names there, right on par with the Summer Olympics in terms of track and field events. Um, so while the championships host a variety of events from, you know, steeplechase to the traditional marathon, the competition started in 1976 as a direct response to the International Olympic Committee dropping one specific event from the docket that year. It was later added back, just four years later. But that event is the 50-kilometer race walk. The 50-kilometer race walk is the underrated event I want to focus on today. All right. 
Now, do you have much familiarity with competitive race walking? <laughs> I can confidently say none at all. Just, uh, just the name sounds brutal to me. Yeah, it's not a thing I had any any familiarity with, outside of one specific episode of the the long canceled show Malcolm in the Middle, in which uh, <laughs> in which Brian Cranston took it up. Uh, oh boy, <laughs> vividly remember that from my childhood. I have to look that one up. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to touch upon the sport in more depth, but. Uh, you know, they actually got the, the rules and form correct in that Malcolm in the Middle episode. <laughs> it's beautiful. It is. Yeah, so, so as a brief primer, race walking is an endurance sport in which competitors race to travel a set distance in the fastest amount of time. Obviously, that sounds pretty similar to running. But with race walking, racers must have one foot in contact with the ground at all times. And the lead leg has to remain completely extended and straight until it passes under your body. Wow. What? what? Hold on a second. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. All right. I, this is like, again, this is brand new to me. This is, uh, this is all new information. I'm just trying to process this. That's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I didn't expect it to get more intense. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and these rules are not just arbitrary. They are strictly judged. And if a racer is given three warnings for breaking one of these rules, whether it be having both feet off the ground or, you know, not having that leg fully extended for that specific amount of time, uh, three warnings by three different judges, they're automatically disqualified from the event. I saw one metric that said one in eight competitors is disqualified out of every event um it seems like in the recent olympics and you know at the highest level that number is a little lower but notably almost every olympic event has someone disqualified for just that 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 technique jeez so again go back again uh lefty the the length on this race is how long again so they come in different varieties various lengths the one we're focusing on today is 50 kilometers 50 kilometers okay just want to make sure all right there's also a 30 and a 25 and uh an 11 i believe right so what we're talking what uh 30 miles 31 miles a little smidge over 31 miles all right okay so with these super strict rules on movement uh competitors have developed this really wild technique in which the walkers basically kind of sway and swing their, their pelvis uh, to increase their stride length and thus their speed. You know, if you think about running, the way that you run fast is to, you know, have the, the, the longest stride length possible. That sure. is very limited when you can't bend your knee and you have to have both feet on the ground. So they've developed this uh, very uh, uh, wobbly sort of technique that is... Yeah. Uh, a sight to behold. And uh, you got to think, I mean, not knowing or having familiarity with this whatsoever. Uh, can you imagine driving by or driving down the street and just looking over and seeing this? I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny though. Um, if you go back and watch clips of the Olympics, it's, it's held in weird venues. It, it seems to be a kind of a back and forth event in which, um, you know, competitors go, back and forth along a, a straight long distance that often runs parallel to roads or sidewalks and that exact thing happens people do just meander by and uh yeah i kind of look them. confused wow. so anyway that said right the incredible speed walkers are able to maintain in this competition is absolutely incredible and that's what makes this sport such an underrated feat in my in my opinion. So, you know, marathons are largely held as the pinnacle af- of athletic endurance. You know, in the Olympics, the winner routinely runs 26.2 miles at a clip well under five minutes per mile, which is nothing to scoff at. That's an incredible feat of endurance. Um, sure. And it's super, super fast, you know. Yeah. I, I know most of our us casual joggers slash runner out there, I mean, we're still trying to, uh, you know, uh, stay below that 10 minute mile 
So I know I am personally. It's tough. Exactly. So when it comes to race walking, uh, specifically the 50-kilometer variety, winners at the Olympics and the World Athletic Championships routinely average sub-seven-minute miles over the 31-mile event. So they are, they are they are doing this this gyrating uh, you know pelvis walk in which they are they are walking thirty one miles with under seven minute miles. Oh, my goodness, this which to me you know in my opinion that is an amazing feat of athletic ability. It's an amazing feat and. I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to think of just the amount of pressure you are putting on your body. I, and it just, the, like you said, the sort of stamina that it takes. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is that over that long distance, that those, you know, two and a half hours or so, um, or three and a half hours, I guess, um, you know, the runners, these, these race walkers have to remain entirely focused because that form is so important. Sure. You know, to, to, yeah, to avoid it, disqualification, of course. Yeah, if you if you zone out, you know, for a few seconds every fifteen minutes, that's enough to to lose the competition in terms of disqualification. And I gotta imagine too. I mean, your body just moving the way that it does has to be so much more susceptible to injury. Yeah, absolutely. If you're if you're not, uh, you know, constantly focused, like you're, yeah, you were saying. Yeah. Well, and and you know, just to contextualize and kind of compare it. You know, running is a fairly natural movement to humans. Obviously, not everybody continues that practice, you know, as they as they age. But but running, you know, just condensed is simply an extension of like the evolutionary walk that we developed as a species. Uh-huh. When it comes to race walking, the movement is wholly unnatural. And something that requires this extra level of insane discipline over running. Add in maintaining that form without flaw at a super high clip for 31 miles, the 50-kilometer race walk has to be among the most grueling and difficult events in modern track and field. And he's certainly one I encourage everyone to watch. And that kind of leads to a question. Do you think it's underrated, Bo? You know, I... right uh, Yes, right off the bat, I absolutely believe this is underrated. I, again, I was completely unfamiliar with race walking before it was brought to my attention here right now by you. Um, you know, I did a little bit of reading up. Um, apparently, you know, back in the 90s, uh, Bob Costas made a comment uh, referring to this as an artificial sport, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he compared it to a contest to see who can whisper the loudest, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old Bob Costas. Right. But what strikes me is that I, looking back at just the 50 kilometer, in historically, I don't see any Americans whatsoever with on the men or women's side as far as record holders go. Now, um, as far as Russia and China goes, they dominate this. So... Is do you, I, I mean? Do you know? Is there a, a huge following in, in Russia and China as far as race walking goes? Because the ma- majority of the record holders on both sides are, uh, you know, of Chinese descent mostly. You know, I think that uh, uh, I think that both of those nations have uh, pretty dedicated uh, athletic um, departments. I guess you, you'd say sure they, they have they have dedicated a lot of money and effort to. Uh, to, to be dominant at a variety of different sports. Um, and if that sport exists, especially at the international level, um, there are, you know, people in those, com- in those countries that, you know, want to wanna be dominant at it. So I think that, that contributes right. a little bit. Um, I know historically there, there might have been a little more uh, uh, national diversity in, in how that finished. I believe that the probably the most decorated of, uh, of male race walkers at the 50 kilometer uh event anyway i believe is from poland so you know all kind of eastern europe but at the same time uh sure definitely some more more diversity there definitely 
Uh, yeah, I think you know compared to other forms of, of racing, uh, you know, with the the stride length being reduced, I mean, to achieve these competitive speeds, uh, the focus that goes into it, the susceptibility, you know, uh, to injury, all these different factors. This takes a certain type of person. This takes dedication. It takes. I mean, I I would be shocked to hear how how long um, some of these competitive racers actually trained for prior yeah, to these. Yeah. You know, you know, and it, and it seems events. to actually be a sport that uh, you know competitors have pretty impressive longevity. Um, the the peak window is not quite as short as it is in other sports. So that's. That's another thing, uh, you know, when you train for this, it seems like you're able to do it competitively and at a high level for an extended sure. amount of time. Definitely. All right. Well, Bo, now that I've hyped up this uh, incredible feat of endurance, fortitude, and, you know, just plainly difficult event in uh, modern track and field, I hate to tell you that it's something that uh, I won't be able to see at the World Athletic Championships this week. And it's not something that either of us will see in the 2024 Summer Olympics as both organizations have dropped the event. And while that's a huge disappointment for us as spectators, I think that it's uh, probably more heartbreaking to the competitors that have devoted their lives to the sport. That being said, I think it's far more valuable to get a perspective on the 50K race walk from one of the top athletes in the world. So today we're graciously joined by 2020 50K Olympic bronze medalist Evan Dunphy. Evan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on uh, the podcast and talk about this event. So as one of the foremost 50K race walkers in the world, uh, why do you feel it's such an underrated event? I love the 50K walk. I could never get sick of, of, of touting its greatness. I think it's, you know, it epitomizes what it means to endure. You know, it, it symbolizes, at least in track and field, the most pure sense of the endure and endurance. Um, it's this grueling foot race, longest foot race of the Olympics, on this two-kilometer loop where you're just going around in circles, um, you know, trying to get from point A to point B as fast as possible, but still having to adhere to these technical requirements that just make it that much harder. And um, I think from a spectator point of view, it's fantastic because you can park yourself in the middle of that course and watch the entire spectacle unfold. And it is a spectacle. I mean, you know, watching the last 15K of a 50K, uh, it's, it's just incredible to see the resilience of the athletes who are suffering, who are grinding it away, who have already blown up and have over an hour left to go and, and are just out there to tick that box of saying, I finished. Um, you have the guys up at the front of the race who are, you know, either picking it up to eight, eight and a half miles an hour. Um, and then you have everyone in between who's, who's fighting for positions and, and five minutes can be erased in, in five kilometers. Um, it, it's one of those races where you need to measure. And what I like the most about it from an athlete point of view is that you need to measure your energy perfectly. You have like a hundred percent and you need to, you know, parse that out over 50 K cause it's not like a marathon where you can get to a last kilometer and say, well, I got tons in the tank. I'm going to full out sprint to the end here. There's no full out sprint because of the te- technical requirements. So, you know, you got to make sure you're, you're, you're getting to the end with zero left in the tank, but 5k too soon and you completely blow up, leave too much and, and you can't, you know, leave it all out there. And that's, I think that's what I love about it is that, that, that game of chess basically of how do I beat the event? It's not about beating your competitor. It's not about beating anyone else there. It's about how do I conquer this event? And I, I think that's what, you know, resonates the most with people watching it and, and what resonates with me most as an, as an athlete in the event. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it just seems like such a, a mental and physical event. Uh, you know, some of the shorter races, it seems like, you know, there's less, uh, there's less to think about. It's just get to point A to point B, but, uh, you know, your race definitely seems like something where the whole time you have to be consistently thinking and- as well as, you know, Given, and you don't have to be the fittest effort. athlete. I mean, that's the thing I love about it is I can stand on the start line and I know that I am not the genetically most gifted athlete on that start line. But I know that 
the 50K takes so much more than that. You need to have incredible fitness. You need to have, you know, you still need to have won the genetic lottery to stand on the start line of the Olympic 50K race walk final. Um, but it's so much more than that. It's not the fittest athlete that wins. It's the athlete who can get their hydration right, get their cooling right, get their, their you know, their, their carbohydrates, their fueling correct. Um, you know, miss any one of those by a tiny little bit and it's you know, complete devastation. We saw in, in Doha at the World Championships in 2019, the world record holder dropping out at 15K um, because he just couldn't, he didn't know how to compete in that heat and, and he didn't prepare properly for it and he thought his fitness would be good enough and found out, you know, less than a third of the way through that it wasn't. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's gotta be heartbreaking as a competitor as well, just to, uh, you know, not, not be prepared for the, you know, drastic difference in, uh, it's, just it's, climate. it's stupidity. I think for the athletes that show up ill-prepared, um, you know, they have no one to blame <laughs> but themselves. Um, you know, it's not like we, it's not like Doha was ever going to be cold. <laughs> um, you know, same with, with Tokyo yeah, or, or that's, um, that's true. You know, what, what became Sapporo later on. Um, so it's it, that's one thing I love about it is is, those, is that preparation, knowing that I can level the playing field by getting the science right, um, you know, getting all that all that sort of stuff um, that goes on behind the scenes that you don't see when the race goes. But um, you know, I I love nothing more than seeing an athlete go out and I go, oh, you've gone out too hard, or you know, oh, you're not pouring water on yourself, like <laughs> you're gonna really suffer in the second half of this race, and um, and it's just it's really that's what I love <laughs> in the race when I'm racing is looking at those athletes going, I'm going to beat you because you're doing this one little thing that's stupid <laughs> and it's going to allow me to, to, you know, come past you in 10 or 15 K. Totally. That, that must be a, a great feeling in the moment to, uh, you know, just know, uh, that, that you have that little yeah, for edge. Sure. Um, so now that the uh, IOC and world athletic has dropped the 50 K race from the largest competitions, what do you think the future of the event you know, looks so, like? So, you know, we're not going to see any more 50Ks. That's that's pretty certain. There's just no, there's nothing in it to, for it to do. But, you know, there is there is some good representation in Masters athletics, particularly um, in the longer stuff, in the in the centuries, doing the 100Ks, 100 miles, 24-hour races. So the, the purest kind of endurance aspect of it will will still exist um and then at the elite kind of world championship olympic level uh, we have the 20k still mm, bit of a sprint in my mind but um you know i don't think it gives the audience i don't think it gives the spectators that same feeling of holy crap this is hard you know you show up to a 20k and you go oh these guys are these guys are moving really fast and they're doing it by walking and that's pretty impressive but the 50k just it just hit differently um in terms of of watching it and and all that stuff. So, so I don't really know. I mean, it's it's a fringe sport to begin with. It's, it's we're not, you know, we're not winning any athletics popularity contests, and we're well aware of that. So, um, you know, I do believe that the future is pretty tenuous. Um, the IOC would love to get rid of race walking altogether. They hate us. Um, they can't make any money off of us. We're a free event, which is one of the things I love. I really struggle with with the Olympics and and the legacy that they leave behind and some of the devastation and and all the kind of not so nice things that the Olympics uh, represents. Um, but I rationalize that with my event being a free event for anyone to come and watch and, and, and be three feet away from that magic and, and, and see that. I, I do think there's utility and power in that. And But from the IOC perspective, it's, oh, well, we can't make money off of this. And what do you mean? You only need one kilometer of road to be closed down. You don't. There's no giant facilities that we can we can build and 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 make. Oh, okay, we don't really like yeah. this very much. And um, so it's sad. I, I think race walking has kind of lived, you know, towards the end of its of its lifespan, unfortunately. But um, my my position that I find myself in is just being the person who can promote walking. Can promote, you know, who better to to tout the benefits of walking than a professional elite walker um and so even if if the sport doesn't continue to exist i, I think the, the 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 lessons i've learned through it and the, the the what i can share about just the benefits of going out and going for a walk as simple as that sounds and um you know i i think that's where we need to transition to even within athletics you think here at the world athletics championships and eugene yeah like 
we're, we're again, we're a free event where people could come up. So let's use our, let's use that. Let's use the race walk as a starting point to get people to come and create a festival, create an environment that people want to show up when they're there. Yeah. Walk, let them watch the race walk, but let's turn them into athletics fans. Let's turn them into track and field fans. Let's introduce them to all the other events. Let's have some stuff set up so kids can try the sport of athletics and, um, you know, just use it as that kind of entry point to get more fans involved in the, in the whole sport. I, I think that's where I would, I would love to see the future of race walking go is kind of help be that entry point, not to race walking fandom necessarily. You'll gain some race walking fans along the way for sure, but more just an entry point into introducing more people to the sport in general and getting more kids involved and, and using the freeness and the, the closeness of, of that tiny little loop, unlike the marathon where they're off running, you know, big 14, 20, 30 K loops. Um, just use all those things to your advantage and 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 sell the sport that way. Yeah, absolutely. And you, and you touched upon, you know, being an ambassador just towards walking. And that's one of the things I love about, uh, you know, your your social media presence um, is that you're, you're very observant of the, the built world around you and, you know, how you interact with that. And I, I think that's a perspective that a lot of people could, uh, you know, use and grow, you know, just knowing and observing that, you know, there aren't a lot of trees in this area. Why is that? Why is this a parking lot versus, uh, yeah. Know, I mean, something when you move useful. around your city at 12 kilometers an hour versus, or, you know, whatever that, uh, seven and a half miles an hour versus, uh, 30, 40 miles an hour, you, you see it way differently. And, and, and it creates a whole new set of questions that you ask yourself about, well, why is this like this? And can it be better? And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll never get sick of, of talking about the, yeah, the utility of walking, going for a walk and having places that are walkable and, and all these things, um, you know, are so important. And, um, and yeah, if I can be an ambassador for that, that's, I think a great way to, to use my, my career and, and my the lessons that I've learned through sport, um, to share that message. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then just to, you know, circle back to the beginning, how did you get started? in? Yeah, I mean, as, as I said, it's not really a sport that, that ranks high in the risk of, uh, on, on the list of popularity, but I just, I want to be good at something. I was, I was 10 years old, um, shortest kid in the class, big red curly hair, thick glasses, and I love sport, but I was pretty uncoordinated and late developing. And so I just hadn't really found my thing. And then one day... Uh, my elementary school, a little popsicle sticker on you, every lap of the field you run at lunch, you got a popsicle stick. And I went out there and I ran the entire 45 minutes and got all the popsicle sticks. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm good at something. And, and that was kind of my, my stepping stone into joining a track club. And then a year later, like completely serendipitously, my brother had his appendix taken out. He was in grade eight at the time in high school. And his high school coach was like, hey, there's this thing called race walking. I know nothing about it, but maybe it'll, you can like, stay fit it won't pull on your stitches in your stomach as much then when you heal you come back to running and you haven't lost any fitness so he went and tried it i think he finished third in his first race got a medal probably only four kids in the race but you know he got a medal <laughs> and as the younger brother i was like oh well if adam can do it like uh, why you know how hard can it be it must be pretty easy so i'm gonna do it too and, and went to my first race and and, and won my first race. Um, the kid next to me on the start line was the kid that won all the races. And he was like, oh, what do you want to do? And I like, panicked. I had, hadn't thought about that. And so I blurted out I wanted to break five minutes for the half mile race. And he told me I'd never do that on my first try. I went 458 and I beat that kid. And I was kind of hooked. Yeah, that was from that moment on. I, I, I knew that that was the path I was going to take. I knew that I wanted to be an Olympian. I knew I wanted to go to the Olympics. And my first race walking race was like, oh, maybe this will be the sport that I go to the Olympics in. Yeah, and you, you yeah, succeeded. Yeah, 22 years later. Yeah, well, uh, you know, congratulations on that that medal. Um, do you have any predictions here? Uh, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna back my, my training partner and uh, good friend, Perseus Karlstrom. He, uh, he's just coming off a bronze medal in the 20K walk, and uh, he won our world team championships earlier this year, and uh, the guy's just a, a beast. So if I was, if if we were allowed to bet on sports, and, and I was so inclined to do so, um, I, I think Percy's a, a tough one not to back. But um, the Japanese are strong. Um, a lot of twenty k guys are stepping up to the thirty five k because the thirty five k is basically just a fancy twenty k. It's it's not halfway between a twenty and a fifty. It's <laughs> much closer to being a twenty k than it is a fifty k. So 
I think some of us 50k guys are are uh, you know a little bit a little bit out of our depth, but uh, we'll see. It should be fun. That first major championships over a new distance. Going to be a lot of athletes still figuring it out. So I think you could see a lot of carnage. I think you could see a lot of mistakes tactically. Um, I think it'll be interesting, whatever the result is. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to see you uh, compete on Sunday. Uh, it's a little unfortunate they slotted you into the the earliest time slot of, of the whole 10 days at uh, 6 a.m., but uh, I am looking forward to it. And again, thank you so much for coming on and talking about the 50K. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you guys for talking about it too. All right, Bo. So now that you've heard me talk about the 50K and more importantly, one of the foremost competitors and ambassadors to the sport of race walking speak about it, do you think it's safe to say the 50K race walk is underrated? Yes, definitely underrated. Thanks again to Evan for actually coming on and being able to give us a lot more insight than what we've had before. But as we touched on earlier in the episode, prior to the interview, you know, the amount of strength and uh, stamina that goes into the actual sport is, you know, quite a bit what you put your body through. Um, so I can say after our conversation here that uh, I agree it is 100% underrated. And uh, I know we won't be able to uh, watch a ton more, but uh, I have become a fan. Yeah, it's a real shame we won't get to witness that uh, the 50K anymore. But, uh, you know, as Evan alluded to, there are the longer endurance events that we can catch. Um, and he'll be uh, competing in the 35K race walk at the World Athletic Championships this Sunday, July 24th, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And you can catch that on NBC's streaming platform, Peacock. Or if you're in Eugene, you can come say hi to me at the event and uh, we can cheer on Evan in person. Definitely. Listen, this is a great show we had today. Uh, thanks to our first official guest, uh, Evan Dunphy, uh, Canadian medalist and uh, uh, future councilman in, in, in Canada. Possibly. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, he's got our support. He's running for uh, city council there in uh, Vancouver suburb of Richmond. Uh, yeah. So best of luck to him both in the race uh on the streets of Eugene in the the race in the streets of Richmond. <laughs> in the streets of Richmond. You heard it here. Uh, give us your thoughts uh, on Twitter at underrated pod. That's under underscore rated underscore pod. Um, as always, check us out on Spotify and Apple Music or anywhere that uh, podcasts can be found. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time. Mm-hmm.